Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Years ago, back when uh, capital punishment was widespread and the electric chair was actually the form of punishment a lot of times in a lot of states, the story's told that there were three guys that were on um, death row awaiting electric chair. And they were all scheduled to be executed the same day. This is dark, sorry. (laughs) But these three guys were scheduled to be executed on the same day. And they go there, and uh, as they're brought in, there's a guy from North Carolina. There's a guy from, you know, um, from, I forgot where he was from. I think he was from... Virginia, I believe. And uh, then there was a guy from West Virginia. And the guy from North Carolina goes first, and they, they put him in the chair, and they tell him what they always have to tell the prisoners. They said, we just have to inform you that if something happens and this does not work and you survive, that you are actually free to go. And they say, do you have any last words? And they strap him in the, in the chair, and he says, go Tar Heels. They flip the switch, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And um, so he's like, they're like, you're free to go. So they unstrap him, they release him, and he's on his way. Well, the guy from Virginia, it's his turn, and he's been watching all this. They put him in the chair, they strap him in, they say all the same stuff. You know, if, this ha- if, if you survive, uh, you're free to go. And they flip the switch, nothing happens. And he's like, all right, I'm good, I'm good. And so then the guy from West Virginia goes and they put him in the chair and they tell him the same spiel. You know, if, if we try this and it doesn't work, you're free to go. Do you have any last words? And he looks, he says, you know, that thing might work if you plug it in over there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know it's bad. I, I don't tell a lot of just pure preacher jokes, but I had to tell that one. I've got friends from West Virginia, so it's okay. Um, I can say that. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of times in life, uh, we don't understand the power that is right there at our disposal. When I was a kid, I would be riding around with my mom in the car. I remember specifically with my mom a lot of times. And we'd be riding along in the country, and the, you know, the power lines were running down the side of the road. And there would be like flocks of birds, you know, sitting there. You know, sometimes, you know, 15 or 20, sometimes like 50 birds would be sitting on the power line. And they would be sitting there, and it was always just mind-boggling to me. I'm like, okay, there's supposed to be thousands of volts of electricity running through those power lines. Why are those little birds not popping off like chicken nuggets, like popcorn? I, I didn't understand it, you know? And I would ask my mom why. I know, I'm twisted. I'm telling electrocution jokes over and over. Um, but I asked my mom, why? You know, what are they doing? Why are those birds sitting up there? And so if it was a weekday, she would say, well, they're going to school, you know? I found out my mom was a pathological liar that day. If we're going on a Sunday, she would say, well, they're going to church, you know? And and so I was thinking, well, that's the coolest thing ever, you know? And for years, I just never understood. Then I understood, you know, down the road, I'm still not an electrician, even though evidently I have this infatuation with electrocution. (laughs) Um, I realized that, you know, they aren't grounded, and that's why they aren't hurt by sitting on those power lines, even though there are thousands of volts just coursing through their bodies and under their little bird claws or whatever you want to call those things. And it dawned on me that a lot of times that we as a church are like that as well, that we are sitting here happy as can be, not understanding the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. 
You know, just like the guy who said, hey, if you plug that thing in, it'll work. Sometimes you and I need to get plugged in, and we are just sitting there missing all of these opportunities. You know, Jesus called us as the church and for a couple of thousand years of the church to take the gospel to the world. In Matthew 28, he gave what we call the Great Commission, you know, to go into all the world, uh, teaching them, discipling them, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded them. It's sort of reiterated in a little different way in Acts chapter 1, about to go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, to go and be his, his messengers, if you will. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote, you know, 13 books of the New Testament or so, he talks about being transformed in Romans chapter 12 and being living sacrifices, and we've sung about that already today, about really being changed, right? Living sacrifices transformed, completely changed from who we used to be. And when you look at Jesus and you look at the rest of the Bible, it's talking about life-changing stuff. Am I right? Life-changing stuff. And dare I say, world-changing stuff. Yet if we're being honest... In a lot of churches across our land, and if we're not careful, we can be guilty of it as well. A lot of times what we do in churches is just simply convincing Christians to love Jesus. And I know that might sound harsh, but if you think about it, that's a lot of what we can get caught up doing. Just convincing people who are already followers of Jesus to love Jesus because Jesus explained what love is. He says, if you will love me, you will what? We talked about it very recently. Obey my commands. You will do what I call you to do. And so we're challenging each other. Come on, let's just, let's love Jesus more. And, and there's exceptions. There are people who absolutely love Jesus in, in churches all across the land. But a lot of what we do is just trying to entice other, each other to actually love Jesus and be passionate about him and not just go through the motions. And, and here's the thing. We are spending a lot of our time trying to convince unbelievers to love love Jesus. We're convincing one another who already claim to love Jesus to love Jesus. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I fall into that category too where I need some convincing. And I am 100% positive that that's not what Jesus intended. Am I right? Ooh, that don't get many amens, does it? It's tough, right? I, I, I know it's tough. Because we, if we say amen, we might be admitting that we might be one of those people who needs some convincing, a follower of Jesus who needs some convincing to love Jesus. And so we spend time pleading with one another to make Jesus a priority, or at least put him in the top ten priorities, because oftentimes he's not even there. And we plead with one another to give Jesus our whole hearts, or at least a portion or we plead with one another to tell people about Jesus or at least tell your kids. Because sometimes we get so busy in life that we gather together on Sunday and we send our kids to the back. And then we don't ever talk about Jesus as a family. And I, I've been there throughout the week. Sometimes we don't even talk about him. And so the scary, dangerous thing is, is that Sometimes we don't even begin to get around to being world changers, do we? 
You know, we're just so busy trying to convince each other for an hour or so a week to actually love Jesus that we never, ever get to being the world changer that Jesus called us to and, being honest, commanded us to. It's not optional. He said, go. He didn't say, well, if you find some time or if you get really motivated or, hey, what? Slap a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says you love Jesus. Honk, maybe, if you love Jesus, and that'll be good. No, he didn't, you know? He, he didn't say, you know, simply wearing your movement shirt or, you know, or your, you know, catchy Christian slogan shirt. He didn't say any of that. Yeah, my wife's got one, faith, hope, and love. She's like, I ain't telling nobody about Jesus. No, she does. She tells all kinds of people about Jesus. But he didn't say only do that. He said, you know, I think it's implied you can do that, but go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. And so we need to get around to being world changers. So the question I want to answer this morning for a few moments is this. How do we break the trend and the status quo and become world changers? And if I can get even more personal with us, how do we become a movement, not just a church called movement? How do we become a movement, not just a church called movement? You see, I believe the remainder of our values, and whether you know it or not or you're new today, um, we've been going through for the past few weeks about our mission and our vision and our values. And last week we talked about grace and truth, which are the first of our, our, our values. And today I believe the remaining, uh, remaining four of our values are sort of the missing pieces for a lot of believers who never seem to get moving. And so I want us to refresh ourselves, whether we're doing these or we are struggling with these, I want us to refresh our memories and let's get, get to work. The first one is this, family. We believe in grace, truth, and we also believe in family. And I love family. Um, you know, I love that idea. I've got a big family, but I love the idea that we're not just here to help families be closer to Jesus. We're here to be a family in Jesus because that's what we're called to be. But if I'm being honest and I'm being real and I'm just looking at things, sometimes the idea of family when it comes to the church can actually be a little bit crippling for us. And here's what I mean by that. Bear with me for a second, all right? Here's what I mean. Don't shut off Facebook Live if you're watching at home. Here's what I mean. I think that our idea of family nowadays has gotten so skewed that when we apply it to the church, that allows us to just be comfortable and relaxed. Because over time, now, I love my kids. Don't ask them. Hopefully, they won't set me up for failure and tell you I don't. But I love my kids, but we have developed over the past, I don't know, 30, 50 years maybe, a culture of children worship. We really have, where children are, ah. and the problem with that is oftentimes if you put a child up on this pedestal and tell them they are the end-all, be-all, when they just are, you know, they don't even wipe their nose or take showers regularly, you know, you tell them that they're all that before they actually grow up, then they become... They can become spoiled brats, can't they? And we've seen an epidemic, or forgive me for the word, a pandemic of people who never ever grow up because they never had any consequences as children. And we think, oh, you know, let's make it as easy for them as possible. And when people don't go through trials, oh yeah, that makes them much better people, right? No, it doesn't. Nobody likes trials, nobody likes difficulties, but there need to be consequences. There need to be times when our children, nothing makes a child stronger and more, um, you know, just I completely went blank. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Resilient, thank you, that's, that's exactly, nothing makes a child more, you know, happy and resilient and just self-secure than when they go through a difficult time and learn how to get through it, you know? But if they never go through a difficult time, they will melt and crumble at every single thing that ever happens. And I, I don't like to do the generational wars because I believe that's a tactic of the enemy, but I don't know if you saw the, the video that just went viral a couple of weeks ago about this young guy, a college student who was working at Starbucks, who, you know, he was literally on video, videoing himself. So he put it out there. Nobody snuck it on him. He's literally crying on the floor about he's a student. And he, it's, it's hard to be a student, a lot of hours. But he was crying because he had to work a full Saturday shift and a full Sunday shift. And I really don't like to play the generational game, but I think about the people who at 17 and 18 years old stormed the beaches of Normandy. You know, I'm like, come on, we, somebody set that, I'm sure he's a sweet guy, sweet kid, somebody set that guy up to, to struggle for his life because he never maybe had adversity, never had difficulty. You know, yes, I'm sure it's stressful. I know it's stressful. People are rude and stinky and nasty. But we need to learn that difficulties help us get stronger. And so the reason I lay all that groundwork is this. We've got to view the family in the right way. And I believe instead of viewing the family or the church as a place where we cherish babies, is we need to kind of think of a big family dynamic, a big family dynamic or a team dynamic. I have a a friend He's going on to be with Jesus. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, he passed away probably mid-60s. He'd probably early 70s right now. He passed away a few years ago with cancer. But one of the craziest things I got to know about him was even though he's, you know, he wasn't like, you know, 100 years old, he had 22 siblings, 21 siblings. He was one of 22. 22 and this was, there were none that were actually adopted. There were actually two moms. One mom passed away, the father remarried, and they kept, you know, having children. But I asked him, I said, how many kids, you know, being 22, that's a big age span, right? I said, how many kids did you ever have at one time in the house? He said, about 18. And they would take in cousins, cousins, extra kids, extra kids. And I, you know, I guess when you got 18 in the house, kind of like, you, you kind of lose count. I mean, you got to start taking your socks off to count how many you got anyway. And so, you know, it's like, all right, what's one more? You know, throw them in there, right? I mean, and so they had 22 kids. And, but here's the thing. Nobody really stayed the baby for long. Nobody stayed the baby for long. Yeah, they got pampered and spoiled. And, you know, the 12-year-olds and the 16-year-olds were probably holding a baby at times, that, or, or two babies, who knows, you know. And, and, but nobody stayed a baby for some, you know, huge amount of time. Everybody kind of had to grow up sort of quick. And, you know, and so the reason I tell you that is, is that we need to have that mindset when we think family. Yes, there's a time for people to be babies in Christ. We want babies in Christ, people who are coming to Jesus, who are giving their life to Jesus and being babies, but we don't want somebody being a baby for 30 years. Because everybody in the family has a role. We're a team, and if everybody doesn't find their role, you are, we're going to fail as a family. And so that's the attitude we need to have. We need to be thinking big families. Yes, we love one another. We encourage one another. I can imagine. I mean, they probably had to eat in shifts, you know, most likely. But I'm telling you, I can imagine what it was like just the, I always thought I wanted a really small family. You know, I tell everybody that when we got married, 
Uh, my wife says I wanted one kid and she wanted six, so we compromised and had five. <laughs> See who won that. <laughs> you know? But I love, I absolutely love having a bigger family. I love it. It's just the chaos and the noise, but it's the love that you have, and people do pitch in. Our older boys are so amazing with Andrew, and, you know, I mean, it's such a cool thing, you know, and I love it. And so I want the church to be that way, too, that, yes, we help the little ones grow up, but that we help them actually grow up. And that we all find a role and we find a responsibility. We love and encourage and count on one another. And we trust one another to make sure that everybody steps up. Well, the next set of values, there's actually two I combined together, is laughter and authenticity. We talk about that a lot. We like to laugh together and we want to be real. We want to be authentic. And I put them together because I think they really do go hand in hand. Because in our world and our society, you know, um, there are... Uh, social media platforms, you know, where people put these super edited videos or super edited pictures with filters of themselves. And then, you know, you don't even know if you're, what you're seeing on the news is true and you don't know who to trust and you feel like everything. And now they have deep fakes that they can do with technology and with apps where you can make it look like somebody is saying or doing something that they are not even doing. And they're trying to put you in a position, especially celebrities, where, you know, or you, you can make it, you can talk and it looks like Tom Cruise is talking. And, and it's amazing. So you don't know who to trust. And so authenticity is something that people are clawing for and clamoring for, even if they don't realize it. We're tired of fake because it wearies us. And the reason I combine laughter and authenticity is this. I believe when you learn to laugh with one another, that that opens you up for deeper relationships. It takes down and tears down walls and barriers. And you've got to spend some time laughing with one another. Because we want to get to the point where if it's time to cry, that we're not alone. That we're going through a difficulty. You may not be a crier, and that's okay, but you know what I'm saying. When you're going through a difficulty, you want somebody that you can count on, that you know that they are a real person, and that they are really there for you. And when you feel hopeless, and you feel lost, and you feel confused, that there are people that you know they got my back. And so we want to be real and authentic. We want to laugh together so that when we need a shoulder to lean on, we can be the shoulder that somebody needs. So we want to get real, we want to get honest, but it takes time and effort to do that. I want to do a little um, experiment really quick. All right, if you have somebody sitting in front of you, I want you to stare really hard at the back of their head. Don't get, don't get awkward about it, it's okay. Don't get real close. You know, hopefully you've had a tic-tac, you know. But stare at the back of their head, okay, for like th- five seconds. One Two, three, four, five. Do you know them any better? Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, you don't know them any better, do you, by staring at their head. Imagine you're staring roughly at their head. Now, everybody's going to get really insecure about the back of their head. Um, I've got a little knob back here. It could be a bowling ball if you shave my head. I don't know. There might be three holes. But I'm saying this. You don't get to know one another very well by staring at the back of each other's heads for even an hour or an hour, 10, every week. You get to know one another by standing together, talking, laughing together, spending time, and eventually you get to know one another around kitchen tables a lot of times. 
You know, spending meals at restaurants with one another and spending life together and, and serving together. But we do it. It happens in smaller groups and uh, with each other in real ways. We also have another, another value I want to talk about, movement. It's our name. We want to be a movement, but we believe in movement. And when we say movement here, we're really kind of saying growth. We want to keep growing and moving closer to God and helping other people do the same. And it happens only when we get together, only when we get real, and only when we get moving. We're called to challenge one another, and that only happens when we spend time together. You know, we, we have to have the mindset in the heart of, yes, when people become a new Christian, they're, they're a baby in Christ, but pretty soon they need to start making strides and growing up, and we need to help, help them do that. Hold their hand, to, show them how to do it, teach them how to do it, but we need to stop settling in the Lord's church, and I'm speaking Big C Church here. We need to stop settling for childishness in believers. We need to all be childlike, Jesus said, childlike, but we need to stop settling for childishness. We need to strive and chase after holiness, and we need to grow in the grace of God, and we need to seek holiness and seek depth and to seek to be stronger and deeper than we were the day before. And when we stumble, we get up, and we don't wallow in it, and we keep coming back, and we keep pressing forward, we keep moving forward. But that will not happen alone. It won't happen alone. You and I, Left to our own devices, 9.9 times out of 10, we'll be like water and seek our own level. You know, when you put water in a space, it will seek it. So it will become level. It'll fill in all the gaps and valleys until it's level on the surface. And left to our own devices in our faith, we will do the same thing. And we will set really low standards for ourselves and do like this. You're doing so good, buddy. To ourselves, we might be a sociopath, but we're like, man, you're a strong Christian. <laughs> you know, we will tell, we will convince ourselves that we are doing, but when you rub elbows with people and you sit around tables and you serve together and you spend time studying God's word together, you will sharpen one another and sometimes even challenge one another. You will encourage one another, but that's where real growth and movement takes place is together together. You know, no machine is really made of one part. There have to be multiple parts that work together in unison for the machine to move, and the church is no different. We need to keep moving forward, and we need each other to do it. So the key to movement, real growth, and kingdom impact is, is knowing one another, and, and counting on one another, and challenging one another. And Jesus, he called us to move in big ways, right? He called us to be world changers. So what can God do through us if we're united together? I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he spends a lot of time talking about how they are to come together and be united, one body, he says in chapter 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all those different things, the ones. But in chapter 3, verse 14, he said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, that word there, every family, 
in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're called to be a family. We are. In heaven and earth derives its name. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We talked earlier about the electricity and all that sort of stuff and not realizing like the birds, you know, we're sitting there. We are like that sometimes as the church, as Christians. We've got all this power at our disposal. It says also in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead woo, is in us. Us. But I'm the first to admit that oftentimes my life does not look like I have resurrection power in me. And it's up to me and it's up to you to allow more of the Holy Spirit and less of us. Allow him to crucify the flesh over and over. He's done it once, but that flesh wants to keep coming back and live by the Spirit. And so that power through whose Spirit? His Spirit in your inner being is what we need to tap into. And that, my friends, I believe will not happen well or effectively on our own. Because what do we say? We sort of seek our own level, our own standard, and we don't challenge one another if we're alone. There's nobody to challenge us. It goes on in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. He, we are directly connected to how much we experience the life of Jesus by how much we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, yes, when you're baptized into Christ, it says, you know, they were told on the day of Pentecost when the church was first, the gospel was first preached, they said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we are raised up to walk in a new life. But how much we experience the true resurrection of Jesus depends on how much we allow the Spirit to work in us and through us. And we miss out on so much power when we are not connected to the body and connected to the spirit. We need to be rooted and established in love when we work together. Verse 18, that you may have power together. What's that word? Together, together with all the Lord's holy people. All right, I'm making y'all do awkward stuff today, but hey, it's time to get awkward and get real. All right, look around real quick again. Look at somebody different if it's a little awkward. If you look too, did you lock eyes too long before? It was a little strange, maybe. Look at the other direction. All the Lord's holy people. Now, depending on what type of person you are, depending on your mindset, how you're raised, things you've gone through, you might be one of two types of people. You were somebody thinking, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of God's holy people. Or you looked at somebody beside you and said, they claim to be a Christian, but they're not one of God's holy people. <laughs> There's basically two types of people. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling y'all. You either think you're not worthy or you think somebody beside you is not worthy. And it's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. It's something hopefully you're working on and you need to work on that. Don't be judgmental. Don't be a jerk. I'm joking. I mean, I'm serious, but I'm joking. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, sometimes I need a translator for sarcasm, I believe. I, you know, it probably help. But here's the deal. We, when we look, sometimes we think we're not holy, we're not worthy, and we sometimes think the other people around us aren't worthy. But he said, 
all God's holy people. And if you have been covered in the blood of Jesus, guess what? Even though you don't deserve it, even though you didn't earn it, even though you didn't get better, you are one of God's holy people. That should be something we cheer about, not because I said it, because it's true. We should be excited to be one of God's holy people because he made us holy and righteous when we did not deserve it. And so we do this together with all of God's holy people, uh, halfway through 18, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so hopefully I'm not reaching. Hopefully you can agree with me in this. I'm not stretching it here. But I don't believe that you will truly experience and fall in love with Jesus unless you are closely joined with the church. You will miss out and you will wonder and you will doubt and you will question. You will doubt the goodness of God. You will doubt the goodness and sincerity of believers if you're not connected with the body. Because here's what happens when you get connected with God's holy people who aren't holy, but God made them holy. When you get connected with them, you see that. You start to see, yeah, they've got, they mess up. They stink. They do dumb things. They hurt people. They get hurt. And, but you know what? They keep going. And they are trying their best to be real. And you'll find some that are fake. Don't get me wrong. You will because people are people. You will find some that are fake. But for the most part, most of us are trying. And when we tear down the walls and get to know each other in a real and a powerful way, that's when we get to know how deep and wide and high is the love of Jesus. Because you have to practice that love and forgiveness with other people. And you get to experience the love of God from people. And you get to share the love of God with people who don't deserve it. And that's how you start to truly fall in love with Jesus. So if you've been trying to be a super Christian on your own and watching YouTube videos, I hate to tell you, that's a good tool, but it's not a replacement for the church. I love the fact we've got a live stream and there are people watching right now. But if you're able, we want you here because we need one another. It's, you know, we need one another and we won't understand the love and the depth, uh, the depth and the height and the width of God's love if we are not living together and loving one another and forgiving one another. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the church plural, all of us will grow up deeper and become more of the fullness of God as we do this life together. Verse 20, y'all got to listen quicker, okay? We got to get through this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably, you can dream it, you can measure it, but he can do more. More than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, God has a great plan in store. He's called us to be world changers because he changed our life. And so it's time for us to tap in. What's the magic word? To gather. Because he's speaking in plural terms. Us, together, all of us, the church, you know. All of us tap in together and go and allow him to do immeasurably more than all we've ever dreamed, asked, or imagined. But it won't happen until we all go locking arms and skipping like idiots like the Wizard of Oz on the trip together. 
all having our flaws. Somebody needs a heart and somebody needs a brain. Let's be honest. Somebody needs some courage. But we go and we do it together. And when we come together and go as a church through the Holy Spirit, we can do things more than God ever imagined or he can do them through us. And so here's a few quick questions I want you to ask to help you focus your mind. The first question is this. Who am I connected with in the family? If you can't answer that in a couple of seconds, there's a problem. Who am I connected with in the family? You need to make sure that you're getting connected with somebody on some level, and then you need to expand that circle. You need to get more connected with somebody else. What role am I playing in the family? Am I playing the role of serving? Am I helping in some way? Am I an encourager? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I a, a very generous giver? Am I, you know, what's my role? Or am I just sitting in the corner sucking my thumb crying? Have I just been a baby too long? What role am I playing? It's time to find our role if we don't have one. If you've got one, praise God. Here's another question. Who am I getting to know on a real deeper level? And maybe one of the ways you can help answer that, because that might feel weird you know, to ask that question. Who am I getting to know on a real deeper level? But one of the ways you can answer that is, who do I laugh with and lean on? Who do I really spend time with so we get to talk and laugh together? Who do I lean on? And I'll throw this in there. Who can lean on me? Because you may not be a crier, and that's okay. But sometimes you need somebody to lean on, and they need to lean on you. So who leans on you within the church family? And who do you laugh with? And then one other question real quick. What steps am I taking to move deeper in my relationship with God? What am I actively doing to get myself moving deeper in my relationship with God? You know, it can be many things, but I, I just want to prime the pump for you a little bit. Is it regular Bible reading? Uh, one of the things we've been doing for quite a while now is we've been reading through anybody that would like to, a Bible reading plan. You can go on our church app. You can find that plan, a link to it. We start a new one tomorrow, so no excuses. You've got an opportunity. If you haven't been reading your Bible regularly, here's how you can begin with some other believers. I believe it's a seven-day plan. It's usually a little bit of scripture you get to read, maybe a devotional thought. But start that practice of moving deeper in your relationship with God by reading your Bible every day. Sharing your faith. Maybe you need to step outside of your comfort zone and start telling people about Jesus because he said, go. And then you need to start thinking about who can I disciple. And that's a big word and a scary word. And you might think, man, I don't know how to, I don't know a whole lot, but you know something. And you can show somebody, you can tell somebody something about how to move closer to Jesus. Even if it's by just your pat on the back from time to time and showing them by example, inviting them to serve alongside of you, taking them out to lunch and just building a relationship with them. But who am I discipling? Because the truth that we've got to understand is that a movement happens when the whole church grows down deep together in Jesus. That's when a movement happens. When the whole church grows down deep together in Jesus. It's time for us to get deep and move out. And as we say here at Movement, we keep doing that until the neighborhood, the whole earth, knows Jesus. It's time to be a movement, but we have to do it together. We're going to sing a song, and I want to encourage you, if there's a level of commitment you need to step into, don't leave here and keep it silent because you'll probably go away and do nothing about it. 
but share what's on your heart. Write it on a connect card. Tell me, tell somebody else, but let's do it together and let's go be his people. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.